Lord, this life is, that we have right now is not all we have, but we have a life with you that we get to live eternally with you if we know you. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy displayed on the cross. Even though our sins deserve death and we deserve to be on that cross, Jesus took our place. And by his sacrifice, we are in your family forever, Lord. So now as we turn to your word, Lord, help us to, Lord, be quick to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, give us hearts that are ready to receive your truth and hearts ready that are ready to receive and obey this truth as well, Lord. If there's anyone out there today that, who does not know you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day they come to know you. pray that you will open their, open their mind, open their heart to see you for who you truly are and that they will see their need for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. So my name is Joshua Swindell. I kind of already had an introduction, but I'll say it again if you weren't listening. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, me and my wife Camille have been in Crossway for about five years now. Uh, we've been calling it home, and I'm currently a life group leader. Um, we have one little girl, you got to see her. Her name is Charlie Rose. She's really sweet. And my wife is currently pregnant, and she's due anytime. Thank you. So with that, she promised me that she would not go into labor until after the sermon is done. And she's a woman of a word, so we hope that she's going to be a woman of a word. Yeah. Anyway, uh, along with being a life group leader, you heard that I was formerly a youth group leader as well. Um, I had the opportunity this past year uh, with the other, other leaders to go through the book of Philippians. And if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, it's known as the book of joy. And today we're going to be navigating through a particular passage in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. The title of the message is going to be, Complaining Dims Your Light. But I have a question real quick. Now I need you guys to be very honest with me. I need everyone to raise their hand, okay? I need complete transparency. I need everyone to raise their hand. Everyone in the room, raise their hand. All right. Thank you. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Who has complained in the last year? All right. All right. Put your hand down if you haven't complained in the last month. Last week? Last, how, who's complained today? Put your hand down if you haven't complained today. Oh, wow. I got some people. Okay. All right. Who's, who complained on the way to church? <laughs> That's good. Thank you for your honesty, guys. But in all seriousness, our, our, the main title is Complaining Dims Your Light. We're going to look at the Christian life and how Christians are to view complaining. But before we dive into the main text, I think it would be helpful to take a glimpse at the verses that precede verses 14 through 18. So if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 2 of Philippians. In the first four verses of chapter 2, Paul implores the Philippians to be a people who are both like-minded and lowly-minded, a people of unity, a people who fight for this unity by the power of humility. And Paul, in verses 5 through 12, will then point to Jesus as the supreme example of this humility. And in these verses, we see that Jesus' willing humil humiliation led to his exaltation. Because he, Jesus, because he decided to come low, God has exalted him above all. And now Jesus, through his sacrifice, he has brought us into right relationship with the Father. 
And if you look in verses 12 and 13, we see that since we're in right relationship with the Father, we are now able to confidently work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God working in us and through us, working for his good pleasure. And working out your salvation is daily doing all the things necessary that will make us look more like Jesus, reading our Bibles, praying, serving the local church, preaching to the lost. And let's be clear, we don't do these things to earn God's favor, right? But we do them to show that we have God's favor. God's favor in us enable us to do everything needed to become more like Christ, to look like Jesus. It's God's power in us by the Holy Spirit. So now, in light of these previous verses, Paul in verse 14 will tell the Philippians, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And grumbling and disputing are similar words, a little bit different, but they could be easily or simply understood as complaining. Grumbling can be understood as a quiet moment of dissatisfaction. Quite literally, the word could be to speak in a low tone of voice. You've heard that phrase, saying something under your breath? It's not a loud spoken dissatisfaction, but it's more of a secret whisper of displeasure. And disputing the ideas of doubting and arguing about what is true and inward reasoning could be understood also as the intellectual rebellion against God. And you can be sure that the person who is constantly arguing with others, disputing with others, um, you can be sure that they will begin ultimately to dispute and argue against God himself. So whether your complaining is in the presence of others or, or if it's just self-dialogue, Paul tells the Philippians and us, never be found complaining. And I've, I looked for some loopholes in this verse because I was wondering, I was like, Paul, in all things, in, in all situations, I'm, I'm never allowed to complain, not, not ever? And I couldn't find one, guys. Paul doesn't give the Philippians any exclusion to this command. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's no wiggle room here. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, no buts. All things implies that whatever circumstance you find yourself in and I find myself in, we shouldn't be complaining. It shouldn't be on, in our hearts and it shouldn't be on our lips. And this verse is interesting because it's to all Christians at all times and all places. Um, this is to the, the 70-year-old Christian, to the 90-year-old Christian. Wherever you're at, whether you're at home, you work from home, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're in the workforce, whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, this command is to you. So while I was preparing this message, I, a question came to mind. I wonder, like, what was the average amount of time people in America spent complaining? And, yeah, approximately the average person in America spends 30 times complaining in any given day. Now, if you take into account, we got 24 hours in a day, the average person sleeps for around eight of those. So let's say 16 hours. So if we, the average is about twice every hour someone is complaining. It's pretty severe. Once every 30 minutes, someone's complaining. And the only time we're not complaining is when we're sleeping. Um, we live in North Carolina. Uh, one thing that we definitely complain about in North Carolina is what? The weather? 
the humidity, you wake up, and you're like, oh, man, it's hot. I shouldn't even take a shower, you know? Um, we complain about our family members. Kids complain about their parents. Parents complain about their kids. Complain about our... <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we complain about our food at restaurants being too cold because God forbid that my food is cold, you know. Um, we complain about our packages not showing up on time because I pray that I pay that prime membership and I expect it to be there in two days, you know. Um, but seriously, we live in a, a culture of constant complainers. Um, and if we're not careful as Christians, it is easy to adopt this practice. And in this culture, it's not, it's not just we only complain. It's, it's also, it's accepted and, and expected that we ought to complain. People will urge you to complain about issues in your life. But for those who have the spirit of God in them, complaining by, there's, complaining by all means should not be tolerated. But in contrast, Paul would later tell the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The representative of Jesus should always be found rejoicing instead of complaining. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul would say, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. So I'll say it like this. There isn't any reason in any season for a representative of Christ to be found complaining. But with that, we know the reality that life is hard, and there are times of suffering. And I am by no means trying to diminish anyone's suffering in this room because I know people personally who have recently suffered or currently suffering or will be suffering soon. And I'm not teaching that God doesn't want to hear your complaints at all. God is not indifferent to your troubles. In fact, Peter tells us, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. We are to be people who are honest before our God, before our Father. He wants to hear us. He wants to hear our hearts. But what I'm saying is our complaints should come before God but not come against him. There's two ways you can say this. Like, example would be God, I, I don't understand why I'm suffering right now. This is hard. I don't, I don't get it. Lord, help me understand Opposed to, God, you've wronged me. I don't deserve this. Why, am I, why do I have to experience this suffering? Why me, Lord? There's a difference. There's a heart behind it. So sinful complaining occurs when our circumstance doesn't meet our expectation, our desired outcome. And when we complain, we are being dominated by prideful and self-focused thinking. And this is the exact opposite thinking that Paul promoted. Paul exhorts us to have the mind of Christ in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. And it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we as believers are called 
to rejoice at all times, not because every situation is good, but because God is good in every single situation. Contentment is found in Christ. Being content in Christ is not optimism. I'm not telling you to be people who are happy-go-lucky and, you know, finding the silver lining, whatever that is. I don't even know what that means. Or trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel, flipping the other side of the pillow, half cup, half full of water, that reference. I don't get it. I'm not telling you to be an optimist. That's not our, that's not our outcome. That's not what we desire as Christians. There's not always going to be a silver lining. Um, when I was in the Army in basic training, we were in a miserable time for about five or six months. It's a miserable time, a miserable experience. And our drill sergeants knew that because they had been in that experience before. And they could see the sourness on our face. And our drill sergeant wanting to help us and encourage us told us, guys, you have to learn to embrace the suck. He was teaching optimism. He says, sometimes you just got to look for the small things. Maybe it's the strawberry jelly in the vast pool of grape jelly in the chow line. And I was like, huh, that, maybe that could work. But after a week or so, I couldn't find any strawberry jelly. And I realized that his idea was terrible. Um, and I say that jokingly, but we can't, we can't live like that. We can't be always looking for the next thing to give us happiness and peace. We have to look to Christ himself. The Christian doesn't look and hope for a change in events as comfort. Instead, the Christian looks to and hopes in the unchanging one, Jesus. In verse 15, Paul gives us the reason we are commanded not to complain. He says, That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. We look at the first few words. It says, That you may be. Guys, that indicates that there's an end result. We do all things without complaining so that we can become the people God has saved us to become. Verse 15 coincides with verse 13 again, working out our own salvation, which implies a lifelong process. And what kind of person does God want us to be at the end of this process? Paul uses the phrase, children of God. When we choose not to complain, we reflect that God truly is our Father. He saved us that we might look like his children. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if we're to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, we must be cultivating a life free of complaining. Putting off complaining shows that we belong to God. So I ask you this question, I ask myself this question. Is your life without blemish? And I'm not asking if you're perfect, because we know that we're not perfect yet. We're still in process. But I am asking if you're marked with the stains of constant complaining in your life. For the people who know you, who live with you, or maybe work with you, are you known to them as a content person or a constant complainer? The second part of this verse says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. The generation in Paul's day is no different than in our day. We're among a generation of people who are morally corrupt and twisted. The word twisted, um, the Greek word 
is where we get our word scoliosis, the curvature of the spine. It's a path that's gone wrong. Something's went away. In this generation, I think it's good to realize that these people, you, you're surrounded by people in this generation that will oppose you. They will oppose Christ. People who will do everything, circumstances that will attempt to dim your light. But Paul says this in 1 Philippians 127, 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So we have opponents in this world. We, have, we live in a, in a crooked and twisted generation. And in the same way that light contrasts with darkness, so the believer will contrast with the person who's lost and who doesn't know God. When we choose not to complain, we contrast. And we are called to be known as a humble and joyful people surrounded by a world full of arrogant complainers. So when Paul gives us the command to not complain, it's with purpose, it's with meaning. It's not for the sake of giving us a hard command, but we have a responsibility in this command. And we can say it like this, not complaining is not a harsh command, but a gospel opportunity. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I have a helpful quote that will tie into this verse in the previous verses uh, by anyone know John MacArthur, pastor out of California. And if you want to, I'm giving you permission to take out your phone and take a picture. There it is. But it says it this, by the kind of life you live, you build a platform on which what you say is made believable. If you have no platform because of your life, your message isn't believable. And a murmuring, discontent, grumbling, griping, complaining Christian is never going to have a positive influence on others. You can't be talking about the gospel, forgiveness, joy, peace, gladness, comfort, and, and be moaning and grumbling and complaining all the time. People aren't going to believe the gospel will do what you're trying to say it will do. That's why the philosopher Hein in Germany said, show me your redeemed lives and I might be inclined to believe your redeemer. Contentment reveals the transform transformative power of the gospel message. So my question to you, does your life look different? We as God's children have the responsibility to, to demonstrate this power to a crooked and perverse generation. We have an opportunity to point them to the true light. We're not the light, but we can point them to the true light who came into the world. Next in verse, in verse 16, we see the how to do all things without grumbling and disputing. So we see why, and now we see the how. And verse 16 says, by holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So, we shine like lights in a dark world by holding 
fast to the word of life. So what word gives life? And as I was trying to understand this phrase, the word of life, it pointed to the gospel message. The gospel gives life. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3 says this. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel means good news. It's our anchor point when this world tempts us with waves of discontentment. What does the gospel do? The gospel reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. This isn't our home. We're not meant to be satisfied here. We're looking forward to the day when Christ returns, when we ultimately will live with him forever. That's our hope. Amen. The gospel also reminds us we have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to take a minute to speak to those in, in this room who might not know Jesus personally. Um, I want to say to you that the gospel truly does give life. It's not just something we say, it's a reality. Um, and to say that the gospel truly gives life would indicate that life without Christ you're not living. It's lifeless. You may be physically alive, but spiritually you are dead and apart from God. The Bible says there are two types of people in this room right now, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. But only when you realize that you are perishing, that's, that's when the gospel sounds sweet in your ears. It's only good news to those who are perishing. The Bible also teaches this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all, without exceptions. Mother Teresa, everyone, no one has lived a perfect life. All who, all who have lived have sinned, without exceptions. You're not a good person. You might do good things. You have the capacity to do good things. But according to God's standard, there is none good, none righteous. And the Bible teaches that the payment of the, our sin is death. But Paul would later say that, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gospel is good news. And through the death of Jesus on the cross, God can take a dead complainer like me and us and make him or her a living rejoicer because we have Christ. To the Christians in this room, attempting to obey this command of not complaining, without holding fast to the gospel, you will fail. I want to remind you that the gospel doesn't just save us, but it keeps us. The gospel isn't just, that's how I get saved, then I get stronger by going and doing something else, John Piper once said. But the gospel strengthens us. It strengthens us every day until the day we die. And the gospel is how you will fight against complaining in this life. I have a personal example, if I can be transparent and vulnerable with you guys. Um, I'm a police officer, for those who don't know. And um, at my station, there was an incident that um, our leaders made that caused, that had a potential to cause us much harm. 
uh, officer safety issue. And I didn't realize that I had a gospel opportunity right in front of me, you know. Instead, I adopted the world's view of complaining. So I took it upon myself and I went around to my other coworkers and to complain to them and tell them my issues and tell them how unjust we were being treated as officers to let them know that I had a good, valid reason to complain. And, and my hopes for complaining were that, oh, if they hear my complaints, they will fight for me. They will say something, and it'll be changed, and the issue will be resolved. And that's exactly what happened, guys. The issue was resolved. But guess what? At the end, what do I look like? I look just like the world. I look like a complainer. I look like I have no hope, no peace, running around frantic because I was not seeing this as a gospel opportunity. We must believe this gospel message, guys, and we, we must proclaim it. Another thing that I want to make clear is our mission. Our mission isn't just to be people who don't complain and are just considered nice people by the world. The world should not just see us as nice people, right? They don't want us, we're not just happy-go-lucky, I'll say that again. But we're also not stoics. We're not people with no emotion. Nothing bothers us. That's not what God intends. It's not what Paul is trying to get us to understand. But we want to represent that we have Christ and that we have reason to rejoice in moments where naturally we would be tempted to complain. So we must represent him with our words and our actions. There's been other opportunities in my life where maybe I didn't complain in a moment because I knew that Christ, I had a reason in Christ not to complain. But when someone asked me, why are you not complaining or why are you not mad? I also missed another opportunity. I fell short of my mission because I didn't say because of the hope within me, because of Jesus, because of the cross, because I have peace on this earth, because I have an ultimate reality that I will live with Jesus forever. So this is a momentarily, momentary affliction. So we fall short in those moments. So I want you to be people this week, Crossway, to be looking for gospel opportunities because there will come a moment when you're tempted to complain whether that be in front of your children, complaining against them, complaining to your spouse, complaining about your, your boss behind his back. There's going to be so many opportunities you have this week. So many gospel opportunities. Don't miss your chance to shine like a light for Christ. In verse 17 through 18, we see that Paul is a person who practices what he preaches Philippians 2, 17 through 18 says, Paul is saying, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. From a worldly standpoint, Paul, the author of this letter, had every right to complain falsely accused, thrown in jail from doing nothing but preaching truth in this world. He was in chains as he wrote this letter. But Paul understood this one thing, and he said it in Philippians 1. He said that he knew that his imprisonment was for Christ. 
And if we are going to be people who choose not to complain, we have to understand the sovereignty of God. It's a big word, but for those who don't understand it, who's not familiar with church, it means that we believe that God's in control of every situation, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that God's over every detail of our lives. Even in moments where sin occurs, God uses that sin for his ultimate glory. We have to believe that God's sovereignty, we have to believe in God's sovereignty. And Paul knew this well. He knew that he was in prison for the gospel message to spread. And Paul would earlier in St. Philippians that he was happy because other brothers from seeing Paul are now more courageous to speak the truth without fear. Paul's suffering brought glory to God and it also benefited others. And in that he could rejoice. The joy, of, the joy of knowing Christ didn't necessarily take away Paul's suffering, but it overshadowed it. It was greater than. So for those who are suffering and where complaining feels natural and the right thing to do, I want to encourage you that um, your pain and your suffering, just like Paul's, is not, it's not an unfortunate event, but it's an ordained opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to bring glory to God. God has allowed this in your life for his glory and you're good. He's shaping you. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 1.29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Suffering is a, it's a part of the Christian life. But be reminded, I want to ask you this question. Do you see God's sovereign hand moving behind the immense fog of your discomfort? Or do you just see it as an unfortunate event, a really bad situation? It's an opportunity. God's hand is working. It's moving behind your situation. I believe that sometimes, I asked a lady in my life group one time, she told me, I asked, is it hard for you to see God's sovereignty at work in your life? And she said, not in the major things in life, not in the major, the big things, she, she clearly sees that this is, this is God. But in smaller details of her life, it's kind of hard to see. Things that seem senseless, almost. But I think the danger here, that if we begin to detach God from our situation and believe that he's not involved in our circumstance, um, maybe because it's too minute or it's... Too, it's not big enough for God. I think that moment we begin to detach him from our circumstance, we can be tempted to believe that the trial is meaningless or unfair if we're not careful. And if we continue down that road, we can even begin to be people who dispute with God, people who begin accusing God of wrongdoing in our life. And pride will tempt us to point the accusatory finger at God in a moment of dis. Uh, um, excuse me, from pride will tempt us to point the accusatory finger at God in a moment of our discomfort. But what Paul preaches, humility, it will protect our heart. Humility reminds us that God is good in every moment of our life. And if we are to be people who rejoice always in every situation, we need to be people who see God's hand in every detail of our lives. Romans 8.28 again says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. 
So to the believers in this room, um, if your desire is to shine like lights in the world, I want to tell you this. You, you must spend time with Christ. And I, we must spend time with Jesus. We must make Bible reading, daily Bible reading, daily spending time with God in prayer, an essential part of our life. To be a positive light to those around you, um, this isn't a light switch. It's not an electric light switch that you can just flip on whenever you want to, right? But it's more like a fireplace that constantly needs logs to burn and be bright. Only when your joy in Christ is real can you ever hope to not complain in this life, to shine like lights before others. Only when that joy is a reality in your life. Let us also look to the suffering of Jesus and follow his example. The Bible says, like a, like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. Isn't it amazing that not one complaint came out of the mouth of Jesus on his way to a wooden cross to die like a common criminal? Not one complaint came out of his mouth because he knew that that was the will of his father. And by any means necessary, he was going to endure and glorify his father. Not one complaint. And Jesus, unlike us, was sinless. We have no right to complain. If anyone did have a right to complain in this world, I would say it would be God. But God, God, Jesus, who is God, chose not to complain, leaving us an example to follow on this earth. And lastly, I want us to be reminded again, um, we have been granted the privilege and the means of carrying out this command. This truly is a privilege to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. This is a privilege to shine like lights in the world and bring glory to our God. Paul in verse uh, 16 of Philippians, he says, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Us shining like lights in the world. There will be a day when we stand before God, we stand before Jesus. And Paul is saying that he wants to know that his, his labor wasn't in vain, that the Philippians grew, that they became people who did not complain. And that's our hope, too. That's, that's the hope for everyone who has invested time, pastorally, invested time in us, that we would be people who look different in this world. And be encouraged that it is God working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And lastly, I'm, I'm certain in this that Paul said, I am certain that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want us to be reminded that God is not done with us. Um, his work is far done from us. He will continue to work in us to make us people on this earth that shine for him. If, if you're in this room right now and you feel the weight that maybe you've been a constant complainer, I want you to know that there is mercy, that there is forgiveness, that you can repent and turn, and God will enable you to live differently. We don't have to sit in the, in the, sit in the mud and just like suck over how bad we've been, how much we've complained. We don't have to complain about how much we've been complaining, right? But we can change. We have supernatural power in us. We have God's spirit in us 
that will enable us to be people who look different in this world. We can rejoice in every moment. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be people who shine light lights in this world for you. Lord, I pray that we will take this responsibility seriously, but I pray that we will see this responsibility as a privilege and that we will be motivated with love for you to be people who choose not to complain. Lord, help us in our weakness, because this is not an easy command, but help us to spend time with you, Lord. Help us, help our joy in you to overshadow any temptation of complaining. Lord, I pray that with our lives, Lord, people will see Christ in us and that they will come to know you through the simple act of not complaining. I pray that that will give us a window, an opportunity to shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen.